Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Uh, we have crossed over into the transitional point of the game. We we are, we're no longer in, I keep calling it the front half. It's not divided evenly into halves, but we, like the other shoe has dropped on the game that we're playing this week, Matt. Yes, it has. Was, was there a question there or just the No, it's just exciting. exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, it is it's exciting. A, this is yeah. a fun time in any season of pod. It is. It's a it's a very fun time. You know, it uh, always means that the plot recap is juicy and beefy, and uh, the chunk of game was similarly juicy and beefy. It was, and yes. Much, much to play. Yes, there was. A lot to dig into. It's going to be a fun episode. How are you doing, Matt? I am doing good. It was a crazy busy uh, Monday, but um, you know, glad to be here to uh, to decompress from the stresses of modern life with a little bit of pod, a lot of Zelda, and uh, conversations about all the same. And we, we uh, did have an excellent weekend. It was we a did have a very weekend. I wouldn't say relaxing; it was exhausting, but fun. Was it exhausting? Oh, I guess you. Well, I, yeah, I guess you went a little harder me. than some of us did. I did. Went, yeah, I went pretty hard. <laughs> How you feeling, Matt? I feel fine now. Look, I recovered the next day, but like <laughs> tired. Tired is a good way of putting okay, that. Cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, it was a Formula One opening weekend. So my brothers and a few friends and I all uh, every year we usually get together out at my folks' place and have some drinks and watch the opening race. And it was a it was a grand old time. So. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so much fun. Uh, you know, always exciting for the Formula One season to start back up. Almost as exciting for me as football season, but uh, you know, at least they don't overlap all that much. They 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 don't. They really don't. But this is not have, a football podcast or a Zelda football or a podcast. Formula it's One not podcast. Formula One podcast. Um, it's also tonight not a podcast with just two co-hosts. That is true. It, it is a it is a podcast that tonight has three co-hosts. Would you like to introduce our co-host this time around? I feel like you never really get to do that. I don't because you like to hog the spotlight. Um, well, I, here I relinquish it to you. Huzzah. And I ask nothing in return. Uh, not yet anyway. I'm sure that you'll have something to ask later. Um, well, tonight we are joined uh, once again by fan favorite and uh, wonderful Discord patron and uh, frequent contributor, friend of the show, uh, webmaster of Zelda Universe, Josh, uh, is here to share his thoughts, feelings, and uh, all the things rela- uh, relating to A Link Between Worlds. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm a fan favorite. You, one of the fan favorites. Sure one of the fan favorites. I am, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm checking my notes here. Yeah, I have I have fan favorite written down. It must be true. Hmm. All right. I guess I'm better than I thought I was tonight. Well, we're 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 yes, fans. I, I am back. Thanks for We're having fans me. of yours, Josh. And uh, you're also one of our favorites. So that in and of itself makes you a fan favorite. <laughs> did cody tell you to say that i feel like cody would be the one who would be the say most not to say that to tell yeah us not to say that yeah cody would be like tell josh he sucks at everything that 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 sounds like something cody would say Which, i don't know that sounds a little he kind of did in the last episode. that sounds a little mean-spirited for cody i mean he would say it in that uh barack obama of australia kind of way that is uh 
lighthearted. Uh, I like to think of him as the cuddly koala bear of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was my job, Lyndon. I'm the cuddly koala bear. You can't be. You're not from Australia. <laughs> I'm also not that cuddly. Yeah. <laughs> you're none of those things. I'm none you're of those completely things. disqualified. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Fine. Josh, how you doing tonight, man? I am doing great. Glad to hear it. I uh, very excited to have you back around for this one because I know some of the conversations that we've had on Discord um, have led me to understand that you esteem A Link Between Worlds very highly overall within the, the canon of Zelda games, and um, that's definitely the way that Matt and I are trending with it as well. We're we're both kind of in a very rosy, positive place with it at the moment. Well, I think you're going to ask me about that anyway, but uh, your assessment is technically correct, but also a little bit. Okay. All right. So, I I mean, (laughs) look, this is, we've done this with, uh, you know, we did it with Cody and uh, we did it with Jackson. So I guess it's your turn now. First appearance of the season. Why don't you go ahead and let us know your history with this game and kind of where your thoughts and feelings are at generally about it, or, or at least were going into this replay. Uh, so my actual experience with the game is uh, it's not unique, but it's probably unique among folks you're going to have on the show uh, because I reviewed this game and had it early. Uh, I had it at least a week in advance, uh, maybe more, but that was 10 years ago, so I don't remember. <laughs> Did you feel that that was like uh, plenty of time for you to comfortably get the full experience like you weren't rushing? <laughs> Yes, um, that I had some I had some uh, life events happen at that same exact time that required a uh, cross trip. Sorry, cross country trip uh, where I drove to the East Coast, so that made it a little more challenging. <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, like I had plenty of time. Uh, I kind of get to claim to be one of the first folks in the world who one hundred percented the game. Uh, I had it one hundred percented. Uh, shortly before midnight at launch day uh, and uh, had a whole bunch of notes for all the pieces of heart and all the Maya Mai's uh, and all that stuff to write up quickly. Uh, so uh, I had a really cool first experience with the game and definitely loved it. Uh, I, uh, You all know I replay stuff all the time, so I have probably played through this game five or six times now. Now, when you say you 100 percent of the game, just to clarify, obviously, my mys, pieces of heart, upgraded items, the whole shebang, bottles, whatnot. Um, are you including the street pass challenges in that? OK, so no, I didn't do that. There was no way to do that because oh, no one else had it. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't street pass anything. Uh, so, no, I did not do that. But uh, there's some extra side content stuff I'm sh- we haven't got to yet in the game that I did. Uh Lyndon probably knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but no, I had done all the side questy stuff, just finished all of it, and had a pretty thorough understanding of the game uh, by launch. Uh, but no, I've replayed it since then, obviously lots of times. Uh, I do very much like it. Uh, Cody made fun of my my Zelda rankings uh, when he was on, Uh Mostly because of Zelda 2, but I think he also knows that technically this game falls in the bottom half of my list. But that's just because there's too many good Zelda games. Well, that um, is the truth. Like I don't I don't have I don't have like bad things to say about this game really. Uh, I just uh 
have a lot of nostalgia for older games tends to be the way it is with me. It's it's definitely um, very crowded up in the top half, so I don't think anyone could fault you for saying that. Right. And so, yeah, like the anomaly for me is that Zelda 2 is so high. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I don't have bad things to say about this game. I think it's great. Um, you know, I, I replayed it actually not very long ago. Uh, I played it in the second half of last year. Uh, so playing it again now it's pretty fresh for me still yeah yeah um uh, and i think it, it had also been this is my first time playing it in probably four years i want to say um I, I think this is probably the third time that i've played all the way through it and uh yeah i'm finding i'm finding so far and i don't know where where you're at with it necessarily but i'm finding so far that my memories of the game and my attitudes about it and like the way that i remember feeling about it and the amount to which I like it is all remaining pretty consistent. I'm not like it's, it's neither raising or lowering at the moment um, for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like I, uh, there's not a whole lot about this game to make me dislike it more, but there's also not a whole lot about it that makes me like it more. Every time I replay it, it is a perfectly when we're at about, there's almost 20 Zelda games. Once tears, of the kingdom comes yeah. out. This is like right around the middle for me. It's like this is sort of a baseline. A Zelda game needs to be like this <laughs> kind of Zelda yeah, game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's something to be said for that that kind of consistency, right? Like that dependability of formula. So what um, top downs specifically rank above this one in your estimation? Uh, a Link to the Past is my all-time favorite video game, period. Uh uh, Link's Awakening, The Minish Cap, Zelda 2, uh, and then also actually Zelda 1. Uh, I think that would be all of the top downs. I mean, that's that is a pretty that is a pretty stacked like front third of the Zelda lifespan. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so the only ones below this are the Oracles and the DS games. Yes. And the multiplayer. OK, games, cool. Yes. Yeah. OK, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess knowing now that A Link to the Past is your favorite game of all time, do you like did this game have a lot of extra special nostalgia for you when you when you hopped <clears throat> into it just because it was revisiting that game that you love so much? Yeah, definitely on the on the first playthrough, you get that feeling a lot um, since I had at that point. Uh, like a link to the past was was not just my first Zelda game; it was one of my very first video games. Like I owned maybe three video games before it: some Mario games and Donkey Kong. Uh, and so I had twenty years or whatever of uh, experience playing a link to the past. So yeah, it's really great to see a lot of the same environments remade. Um, but uh, there is a Max would probably know like the better terms for these things. When we talk about a link to the past, they were still trying to figure out dungeons. They were still so there's a lot of like experimental stuff uh, where you you know like where you would fall in the forest and a lot of the forest dungeon is kind of pointless. Um, right. You have like the block in the ice palace. Right. There's a bunch of like really memorable weird things. Um, and a link between worlds is more. I would say it's more similar to Link's Awakening in that the dungeons are designed to be handheld. Like you, like I did the Dark Palace we're going to talk about 
in like 30 minutes last night or less. Right. Like I, uh, I, I knew I could just pick it up, play through a dungeon and put it down without very much time needed. And, uh, and the dungeons are a lot more like designed and very themed around an item, uh, in a way that a link to the past had not solidified the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so a link to the past feels a little more like you're just on an adventure. You're exploring a bunch of stuff and a link between worlds feels a little more like, uh, especially like when you, and we talk about low rules, very segmented, yeah. right? You go to the segment you need to do to do the dungeon that you need a specific item to solve all the puzzles. On. <laughs> uh, it just, it feels more video game. Yeah. I will say that to, to me, me, so I think the comparison to Link's Awakening is very apt. I, I will say that um, now that I'm kind of examining these things from a critical standpoint, I'm finding a link between worlds is dungeons to generally feel a little bit more focused than Link's Awakening's. Whereas Link's Awakenings yeah, can I kind think, of be a little more sprawling uh, and whatnot. Right. And then like you've noted, there's a lot of keys. <laughs> in right, right. Yeah, it's just uh, key vest. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like the, the games in the 90s, even like Ocarina of Time, uh, we talk about there being a Zelda formula and that you always have, you know, there's all the puzzles are solved with the dungeon item, right? But it's, uh, I think that really once you've got I, th- I always look at like the Minish Cap and Twilight Princess as the era where that changed. The dungeons get really, really focused on items. The item that you take in with you or the item you get in the dungeon. Uh, I think they really did shift and like really hone in on that. Yeah. Uh, that idea. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I really do. Um, and that's obviously that's something we're going to talk a little bit about in this dungeon and then more specifically in some others as we get further into the game. Um, but thanks for catching us up on on where you're at with A Link Between Worlds. I do want to take just a few minutes before we get into the housekeeping and just ask, I mean, as the webmaster of Zelda Universe, how goes your Tears of the Kingdom prep? Um. <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom prep is a little bit difficult because they're being so secretive uh, about the game. Uh, a lot of what we're doing is uh, uh, is actually just like uh, overhauling, redesigning some of the page layouts to be a little more prepared, uh, uh, have better ways to present all of that content once we have it. Um, you know, Zelda Universe is over 20 years old and sometimes the uh, the design of the actual pages on the website is kind of slow to move forward. So uh, we've been putting a lot of emphasis on fixing it up so that when we have something to talk about, it'll be a lot easier to show everyone. It's a case of progress um, by inches, huh? Yeah, and it's, it's helpful that we have the Minish Cap on Switch and Link's Awakening on Switch. That's actually what I, most folks right now are going to see you to look at the Minish Cap. Uh, so really, inter- uh, we're getting a lot of a lot of folks playing. I'm that. sure we'll reference ZU as well. But really interesting thing, Matt and I, like I say, we were at our parents' house this weekend and we were helping clean out one of the closets. And uh, lo and behold, sitting on a top shelf, layer of dust probably hasn't been touched in 15 years. Underneath the Megaton strategy guide for Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver was a basically mint condition uh, Prima strategy guide for Minish Cap. It was like a treasure chest find. We were like, oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah, that is really crazy. Cool. On top of it was a Heart Gold and Soul Silver uh, I Prima just guide. Said that. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. why don't you listen to me? 
Yeah, I, I generally I try to tune you out as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I thought I had a guide for the Minish Cap and I went hunting for it a while back and I don't have one. I have one for pretty much every other game that they made one for. Uh, but I apparently never got that one. Well, uh, I, so I guess are you um, going back to Tears of the Kingdom for a second? D- how'd you feel about the direct? Did it did it scratch a pretty good itch for you? Did you feel more excited, less excited by what you were seeing? About Zelda, yeah, it was great. Um, I uh, it uh, I know I know some folks don't want to hear all the stuff in the trailer, so I won't be real specific. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there was stuff in the trailer I didn't expect. Uh, and that kind of just made me say, huh, but I'm okay with it. Um, I mean, I've, uh, I have lived through Zelda with trains and, (laughs) um, all sorts of stuff before. Like I'm, I'm open to, to them trying out whatever new ideas they want to try out. I can. So were you, are you saying that Zelda or link on a tractor was not exactly what you were looking for out of the, uh, (laughs) out of the trailer? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was unexpected moments. Uh, but, but no, I think it looks great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I, I tend to be a little more contained in my hype and try to keep my expectations in check. Uh, but, it's totally cool that there's a whole section of the fan base that just wants to blow the roof off it and get really, really excited. Well, usually that I'm not usually I'm not going to put a damper on anyone's excitement. Usually that enthusiasm is rewarded where this series is concerned. So it's a pretty safe bet in my experience. Sure. Yeah. Well, cool. Obviously, we're, we'll have a lot more to talk about with Tears of the Kingdom as we get closer to that release date. Uh, we are we are just uh, just a shade over two months out at this point, so it's coming real soon, y'all. It's going to be real fun. But of course, we're not here to talk about Tears of the Kingdom. We are here to talk about a link between worlds. And with that being said, damn it, man, I, yeah, I'm really trying not to say that. Why is that so tough? Like. It's it's one of your it's your comfort phrase. It Lyndon. is, but I think like I worked so hard at the front of the podcast to, to not do the what's and the uhs and the likes and the yeah the, know, the filler words you yeah. know like yeah um, and this one's just, which I feel like we have pretty good lack of filler words like that. I feel like we're pretty controlled about that for the most part ish. Yeah. I think um, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, maybe let's let's try to find you a new catchphrase. We'll work, we'll we'll workshop that. Yeah, no, no, no. That sounds good. That sounds good. But until that happens, don't steal tingles. Don't what? Don't steal tingles. Catchphrase. I'll come get you. Tingle tingle tingle. Kululimpa. Kulu kululimpa. Yeah, that. These one? are tingles magic words. Don't steal them. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I think there's zero percent chance of that on this podcast. All right. Well. Tingle Tingle Kulu Limpa. Let's get into the housekeeping. <laughs> oh, God. I don't think that's going to stick that's around. That's definitely not sticking around. <laughs> Ugh, that's bad. Put that one in the put that one in the bad pile. <laughs> oh. It's like uh, it's like when Saru was workshopping his captain's catchphrase because he didn't want to use engage. Yeah, there was a lot of them and a lot of them were really bad. Yeah, not a, not anyone can use engage. That's a Picard thing. You can't steal Picard's catchphrase. There were other people like I think Cisco used engage. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, not a Star Trek podcast, so maybe we'll just uh, put that sidebar off to the tra- off to the side. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of the Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. 
If that sounds fun, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Shepherd Street, Matthew, Chris, Daniel, Fallout 907, Kelso, Tiffany the Star, Daxel, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknuck, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Melanie, Kolku, Aiden, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru, the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. Max Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are the most legendary of individuals. I would accompany them into a dark alternate universe any day of the week. Would you? I, I don't know that I would accompany very many people, if any, into a dark alternate universe. It was meant to be a statement of camaraderie. Okay, well, I think we can have lots of camaraderie without voluntarily following people into dark universes there you go matt matt's love for you all is conditional okay so <laughs> that's true of almost everybody so don't take it personally <laughs> all right i actually think we do have a new five-star review queued up so matt, matt thinks he's gonna let that one off we the chain. do uh jahamaric uh, wrote us a nice five-star review uh, says I got into a big Zelda mood recently and decided I wanted to play through the whole series having only beaten three games myself man Jahamrick that is a commitment when you're three out of 19 ish uh, all right and as usual when I get into a mood for something I seek out podcasts on it I found a handful that were enjoyable but ultimately this is the only Zelda podcast I stuck with oh thank you Jahamrick the hosts are fun and I say that as someone whose favorite is Twilight Princess which we know notoriously don't love and i love the systematic way each game is tackled going dungeon by dungeon it's made for great conversation and easy listening thank you jahamaric i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly if that is uh you know any significant name to you uh thank you for the five star review we appreciate it Great review, Jahamrick. If you, like this wonderful person, have recently found yourself in a big Zelda mood, or you know somebody who you think might be susceptible to a big Zelda mood at some point in the future, please refer them to our podcast and let them know that five-star reviews are greatly appreciated and we love reading them on the show. And it's a good free way to support that show. Very free. No rupees required. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. That happens every week, of course, in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering A Link Between Worlds Chapter 4. Part 1 is the plot recap, as always, as usually, read by Matt. Take it away, Matt. Nine pages of plot recap coming up. As Sahasrila's words fade from our ears, we set our sights to the northwest, where lies the Lost Woods and the legendary Blade. Eager to reach the princess before any ill fate can befall her, we use the bell to summon Irene to fly us there as quickly as possible. Irene's broom appears, but Irene is nowhere in sight. Concerned for our new friend... And with a sense of dread and urgency, we grab onto the broom and fly over to the Lost Woods with haste. Once we reach the Lost Woods, we enter to find a circle of nine Poes. These mischievous ghosts guard the paths within the Lost Woods to prevent anyone from finding the Master Sword. However, they will allow us to pass if we can solve their puzzle. 
At first, we must only keep track of one of the ghosts as they dance around to try to confuse us. They disperse in different directions, and we must follow the correct ghost in order to explore further into the woods. However, once we reach the next area, the ghosts become even more tricky. Now they dance around to confuse us, but instead of following only one, we must follow two of them and avoid the paths that they take. The final challenge is the trickiest of all, and now we must keep track of three of the unfriendly ghosts and avoid the paths that each of them takes in order to find our way forward. Paradoxically, the only way forward is to return from the path that we just came from. Confused but determined, we follow the path indicated and find ourselves in a peaceful glade full of wildlife, pure light, soft grass, and a sense of peace that we haven't felt since before we embarked upon this journey. In the middle of this peaceful and wonderful glade, we see a stone pedestal, and in the middle of this pedestal rests a magnificent blade, resplendent in a beam of light. This blade can be none other than the legendary Master Sword. We approach the Master Sword with reverence, as this blade is one of the most legendary and powerful artifacts in the entirety of Hyrule. As we grasp the hilt of the legendary sword, the three pendants of virtue glow with an unearthly power. Imbued with their magic, we lift the master sword high into the air and feel its holy power suffuse us with an otherworldly might. With the Master Sword in hand, we have everything we need to break the barrier of dark magic that holds the castle and the princess in its sway. Sahasrala speaks to us again, telling us to make haste to the castle as time is running short. So we head to the castle as quickly as we can to find that Sahasrala is already waiting for us at the gate. Aha! No doubt that is the very blade of evil's bane. Well done, Link. Now there's not time to waste. Strike down this nefarious barrier. With the sacred blade in hand, we head right up to the dark barrier of magic and plunge its blade into the flow of darkness. There's a blinding flash and a surge of power, and then the barrier is gone. We hurry into the courtyard of the castle to begin our hunt for the princess, hoping against hope that Yuga has not yet reached her. The castle is full of enemies at every turn, and as we go further in, the enemy knights become more and more numerous and more powerful. We explore every room of the lower wing of the castle, and even enter the audience chamber where we first met Zelda, but she is nowhere to be found. We head to the upper level and into the top part of the castle, making our way through royally decorated rooms, carpeted and draped with the finest rugs and tapestries we have ever seen. After fighting through a small army, we find Zelda near the top of the castle, but to our horror, she has already been found by our enemy. Yuga stands in front of the princess, and we hear Zelda tell him, Your rampage through my kingdom must stop. How many more of my people do you intend to take? My little acquisition tour of Hyrule is nearly at an end, princess. It really was quite a spree. A sage here, a sage there, and now your Impa too? I've already got all seven sages. What do you plan to do with them? Zelda asks, horrified at the implication of what this evil sorcerer could do with such power. Never you mind, for I have one more painting to make, so please, rid your mind of all concerns. I don't want your portrait to feature any unsightly worry lines. I wish to preserve you at your very best. 
I dare say you're even a match for her grace. Confess it, you monster. You plan to use our seven sages to revive Ganon, don't you? Oh, what golden hair you have. Such bright locks are normally far too sunny for my tastes. But for you, I'll make an exception. Zelda protests Yuga's indifference to her pleas, but Yuga has had enough conversation from the princess. I find your protests inelegant, not to mention irrelevant. I wish only to possess your beauty, Princess Zelda of Hyrule, not all these ugly words of yours. Oh, you are going to make a spectacular painting, my dear. And before our eyes, Yuga casts the same spell that we saw him use on Osfala. In an extended flash of bright light, accompanied by the horrified screams of the princess, we see Yuga's magic do its work. Zelda, now trapped in a magical portrait, collapses to the ground as Yuga stands over it and declares the painting his masterpiece. Once Yuga is done admiring his work, he turns to see us at the foot of the stairs. He is more than shocked to see us out and about instead of splashed on some wall somewhere. But instead of learning the secret of how this happened, he summons a handful of evil knights to stop us and flees through the nearby door. We can't let him escape with Zelda like that, so we make quick work of the knights and follow hot on his heels. We make our way up several more floors of the castle, fighting our way through more dark knights in the process. Eventually, we make our way to the very top floor, where we find Yuga talking to himself about how impressive his own skill is as he admires the portrait of Zelda. He's furious at our continued interference and refuses to let us delay his departure any longer. He suddenly spawns two copies of of himself that go to the corners of the room and merge into the walls in flashes of lightning. He also merges into the wall, and the three copies of Yuga begin flying around the walls of the room. We ready the Master Sword and our bow and join the battle, hoping to defeat him and save the princess before any more harm is done. We follow the the real Yuga's painting around the room and stun him when he comes out of the wall with our bow and arrow. From there, we start hacking away at him with the Master Sword. And after a few, few rounds of Waka Yuga, he throws a real tantrum and starts moving even faster around the walls. Every time he and his copies re-merge into the walls, they blast lightning. But luckily, following Yuga around isn't too hard, and we are able to stun him fairly reliably. Anytime we accidentally hit a copy, though, we spawn a pesky Dark Knight that we must deal with first. But, in short order, we have him beaten into submission. Even though we have severely beaten the sorcerer, he claims to be bored of our fight. He grabs Zelda's portrait and flees through a new hole in the back wall, saying that once he releases Ganon, lowly creatures like us won't be worth his time. We follow as fast as we can, and the only route left to us leads right into Zelda's study. But Yuga is nowhere to be found. We search the room high and low until the flutter of a banner with the Triforce on it catches our eye. We head over and slash it down, revealing a strange black chasm with glittering edges going straight into the wall. We decide to investigate and merge into the wall using the power of Ravio's bracelet and head inside. The chasm turns into some kind of tunnel that is full of swirling colors and bright lights. It is utterly disorienting and we are being more pulled forward than actually moving of our own free will. After an indeterminate amount of time, we emerge into a dark room that looks like Zelda's study, but with some marked differences. 
Whereas Zelda's study was immaculately clean, sunny, cheery, and smelled like sweet flowers, this room is dark and and disheveled. The sky through the window is dark and full of thunder, and the plates that were on the wall have been cast down and shattered along with the mirror. The smell is spicier and muskier, something unfamiliar but not entirely unpleasant. Taking all of this in quickly, we leave the room and make our way back to the castle to pursue Yuga. As we enter the castle that is not Hyrule Castle, we see Yuga standing in a large chamber surrounded by paintings and suffused with dark magic. Upon the paintings we see Osfala, Irene, Impa, Zelda, and the Zora Queen, Ceres, and to our shock and horror, Little Gully. As we take in this awful scene with Yuga boasting the whole time about his collection, he reveals the full intention of his plan. To summon Ganon and to merge with him. He begins the ritual to summon the Demon King, and above him the paintings start rotating swiftly. In the middle of this circle over Yuga's head, a dark orb comes into existence between the paintings and begins to expand. Eventually, a portal opens, and from it emerges the ancient foe of the people of Hyrule. The Demon King himself emerges, strangely silent and seemingly inert, but still terrifying in his size and power. As the ritual completes, Yuga summons the Triforce of Power from Ganon and commands for the two of them to be merged together with the Triforce of Power to become, in his own words, truly superior. As we watch helplessly, the Demon King seems to fade out of existence and into the body of the Sorcerer. A red torrent of energy blasts forth from the summoning ring, throwing the paintings all over the room, and a dark sphere of magic covers up the writhing transformation of the abomination before us. Finally, the transformation is complete, and before us stands the unholy merger of Yuga and Ganon, a pale beast larger even than Ganon alone. Yuga's red mane of hair still flows from the head of this monster, but in all other aspects, it is the very image of the Demon King in all his terror. It roars in triumph and rage, sending a shockwave of magic across the room that flings us to the ground. It advances on us with a huge golden spear in hand. Its every footfall causes the room to shake, and even though we don't plan to go down without a fight, we know that we are absolutely no match for this amalgamation of evil. Just before the Demon King can strike us down, however, a dark blue portal opens in the floor and a woman appears through it. She holds a scepter with an upside-down pyramid, and from it she blasts the Demon King with magic that shakes the room. The Demon King's own magical shield cannot withstand this newcomer's spell, and he becomes encased in what looks like dark blue spiderwebs and becomes completely immobilized. From our spot on the floor, we can see that this new person is dressed in royal robes and looks more than a bit like Zelda from behind, except for the striking purple hair. She turns to face us, and if it weren't for the purple hair and red eyes, we would swear to the goddesses that it was Zelda who was standing before us. We also recognize that the staff she wields doesn't have an upside-down pyramid, but a triad of upside-down triforces. O hero of Hyrule, I can only hold the beast at bay for so long. It should prove enough time to bid you a most sorrowful welcome to my kingdom. Welcome to Lowrule. My name is Princess Hilda, 
and I have failed you in every way. I knew Yuga planned to slip into your world to abduct Zelda and the sages, but I couldn't stop him. Now he has used them to summon the Demon King and siphon his powers. Yuga's appetites will soon consume our worlds, high rule and low rule, the beasts for the taking. As she finishes this dire proclamation, the Demon King shakes his bombs and seems as though he's beginning to loosen their hold. Hilda, sensing this as well, uses her magic to send us out of the castle into safety. While we teleport to safety, Hilda continues to speak to us, while Yuga Ganon is contained. She says that she will do everything in her power to keep Yuga at bay while we try to find a way to defeat him. She says that in order to do so, we must awaken our full power as the hero of Hyrule. She senses that the paintings of the Seven Sages that Yuga has scattered across Low Rule hold part of the key to unlocking the needed power to defeat this dark beast. She bids us farewell with the promise that we will meet again, and we finally fall unconscious. We awaken to the familiar sound of hammer against steel, and a voice that sounds familiar to our ears. As we slowly regain the feeling in our legs and the pounding of our head recedes slightly, we hear the voice of our master's wife. But instead of her usual sweet tones and caring demeanor, she is saying some really horrible things and being extremely rude. Apparently she found us unconscious on the road and drug us here to the shop. But she's being very begrudging about saving our life, and we decide that as soon as we can stand, we better be off. We head outside, still somewhat dazed, but not so dazed as to forget the traumatic events that we last witnessed. As if hearing these thoughts, Hilda contacts us magically to warn us about the kingdom we find ourselves in now. While it may look somewhat like Hyrule, it is very much not. Low Rule and High Rule used to be worlds apart, but Yuga's magic has forced them close enough together that travel between them is now possible. She also tells us that the seven sages we seek are spread across, across Low Rule, locked in dungeons. In order to reach some of them, we will have to travel to their counterparts area of High Rule and cross back over to Low Rule from there. Lastly, she warns us that the people of her kingdom are not very welcoming to strangers, so we should be on our guard as we explore. We head off to find a way back to Hyrule and immediately discover that Hilda was not exaggerating in the slightest. The monsters roam in greater numbers and are far more powerful than anything we have fought in our world. There are giant Hinoxes that throw bombs. There are creatures with the heads of beasts that throw spears or stab with pitchfork that we learn are called moblins. And there are terrifying monsters that are just walking, chomping mouths. All of this simply spurs us to find a way out of here as quickly as possible. So we head to where Kakariko Village would be in our own world, hoping at least for people instead of these monsters. We reach the town and find it almost completely destroyed and deserted. Only a few buildings stand, and in the wreckage of many of the former buildings, there are people in masks who glare suspiciously at us. We decide to avoid any contact and simply look around for anything like the portal in Zelda's study. We finally find one in a destroyed house and head directly through it. We pop out back in the familiar village of Kakariko. 
But instead of being outside, we ended up inside the home of one of the more stylish members of the village. She exclaims at our presence, but in return for a compliment paid to her new dress, gives us a piece of heart and sends us on our way. We head straight home to get our thoughts in order and find our bearings, and we find that Sahasrala is there waiting for us. Next to the old elder is another fisher, like the one we used to travel to Lowrule. According to Sahasrala, these fissures have popped up all over Hyrule after another earthquake shook the foundations of the world. We also decide to pay a visit to our renter, Ravio, while we are here and stock up on any items that might be useful. We find out that he is willing to sell these items he rented to us, so we take the time to empty our wallet and permanently purchase a few tools for the journey. With these things out of the way, we decide to start our journey in Low Rule in the same place we started out in the beginning. So we head to the Eastern Palace region to find a nice fissure to pass through. We quickly locate one in the hilly area behind some fallen rocks that we blow up with our bombs. And once we re-enter Low Rule, Hilda gives us the lowdown on the area we find ourselves in. She tells us that we have entered an extremely evil place within Low Rule, and that here a contingent of soldiers that once served the royal family have created a cult that worships a formidable monster that dwells in the palace beyond. They are obsessed with capturing anyone that ventures into their area, so we must sneak past them without being detected in order to enter the Dark Palace. The guards all wear masks depicting some vaguely dinosaur-esque monster and patrol the maze ceaselessly. But with our ability to merge into walls, we make fairly quick work of maneuvering around them. As we approach the Dark Palace, it really lives up to its name. Not a single spot of illumination is to be seen anywhere in the vicinity other than two green flames that dimly light the blocked entrance. But there is no sun, no stars, and no moonlight. The palace is decorated with statues of monsters, and the stone is an eerie shade of green, like the flames that light the entrance. We blow open the entrance and head inside to find a room of utter darkness. With our handy lantern, we light the way enough to begin to explore the dungeon. This place is utterly dark, and many of the obstacles that block our way can only be seen in that darkness. Oddly luminescent stones that only glow in the absence of light show paths over abysses. Arrows flow along the walls showing paths to other rooms, and platforms materialize out of thin air when light leaves the area. Not only are there a variety of puzzles to navigate, but in this darkness are many enemies that thrive in the gloom. Ghosts who are only vulnerable when lit by a torch or lantern plague many of the rooms. Fire-spitting monsters called Kadongos patrol the area, and Gorias guard some of the rooms that allow passage to other floors. And helmeted little beasts called Helmosaurs try to ram us with their heads from the darkness. All in all, this place is extremely dangerous, and each floor has more puzzles than the last. As we progress through, using bombs and the fire rod and lanterns to solve the puzzles, we see that light is streaming in from above. We head to the top floor, where we find windows that are letting in light, but some have been boarded over. We know from the first room that opening up some doors requires us to shine light on beacons in the floor that look like eyes, so we go ahead and break open all the boards to let the light into this dark place. We continue down the dungeon, freeing the path of the light as anywhere we can, until we reach the basement. There, a giant gemstone-encrusted gate guards the boss door. 
But as we have filtered the light down to this lowest level and activated each of the switches, the gate opens before us. Using the big key, we head inside to confront the monster and free the sage that it guards. We find only a dark room and decide to use the lantern to light a few torches in two of the corners in the room. Once we do, the room is completely lined with fire and it illuminates the gigantic skull of one of the beasts that we saw carved on the outside of the temple. We look expectantly at this skull, but to our shock, a huge monster drops from the ceiling instead. This gigantic reptilian beast is completely studded with gemstones, and its head is adorned with a skull exactly like the one on the wall. Its tail is long and spiked with diamond, and it roars in fury at our intrusion into its domain. The Gemisaur King dives right into battle, trying to gobble us up and end it quickly. We start flying around the room, trying to avoid this huge monster as best we can. Our arrows and sword do absolutely nothing to the reptile as the gems along its body protect it from such weapons. We decide to instead start laying bombs in hopes that the explosives will shatter the crystals. Luck is indeed with us as not only do the crystals shatter, but they spread rupees all over the room. We use this tactic again and again to blow off the crystals and eventually even the skull that protects the creature's head. Underneath the gem-encrusted skull is a pulsing red orb that has to be some kind of weak spot. The beast roars as its newly exposed weakness and begins attacking even faster. It not only bites and lunges, but uses its tail to throw shards of diamond at us whenever we stand still for too long. Using the bow, we shoot its head a few times, which really enrages the creature. It lets out a shriek that extinguishes all the fires in the room. It is now in complete darkness, and we can see its glowing yellow eyes. It starts stampeding around the room at breakneck speed. We have to quickly light the lantern so that we can see our foe and hopefully stun it for a moment as well. We merge into the wall and make our way to both torches to relight the ring of fire around the arena. Once the light is back, the creature is indeed momentarily stunned, and we take the opportunity to finish it off with another few shots from our bow. It falls and explodes in glorious fashion. In its wake, a beam of light appears that we know will teleport us out of here. But we don't see any sign of the painting that we are looking for. We step into the beam of light, and instead of being transported out of the dungeon, we find ourselves in a strange place of surreal waterfalls and directionless light. We stand on a raised dais surrounded by seven other raised dioceses. The platform in front of us begins to glow and a strange crystal appears upon it. From this strange crystal emerges none other than our plucky friend Gully. He seems scared and confused at first but quickly drops the pretense and announces that he knows he is one of the Seven Sages, as he says. Even though he's a little unsure about the pronunciation of that, he seems to be excited and eager about his role. We talk briefly, mostly about how he is worried that without him around, no one will wake us up for work in the morning, and his concern for his parents. But hopefully once all this is over, we can both go back home to the way that things were. Behind us, the portal appears again, and before we step into it, Gully encourages us to hurry up and find the rest of the sages so that we can put an end to this adventure. With the succinct summary of our next steps and the admonition of our little friend, we step into the portal back to Low Rule to continue this path to defeat the Demon King. 
<laughs> well done as always, Matt. That brings us to part two, which is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. So, um, Matt, I, so I usually send it to the guest first, but you do. Yes. But I'm going to send it to you first tonight, Matt, because oh, I'm honored. Like we said, uh, at the top of the show, this is the, this is the point in the game where the other shoe drops. We get our introduction to the, the other world, like the dark world mm-hmm. equivalent, um, that this game presents to us, and uh, the game gets a whole lot bigger all at once. It, it basically doubles in size. Indeed. So, uh, so let me know. I mean, what what was what was this week like for you? What was this chunk of game like for you? So, um, yeah this this was a lot of game. It was uh, mostly a lot of game because I kept getting uh, sidetracked by other things. I would go set forth to go to Hyrule Castle. Um, I. I one thing I did do, I went immediately and got the Master Sword. I didn't get sidetracked to do that. Um, got the Master Sword. Then I went to go to Hyrule Castle. And along the way, I got like three Mai Mai's. And so I went back to Mother Mai Mai. And then I went to visit Ravio for no specific reason. Actually, no, it was I wanted to get the Fire Rod and the Ice Rod because I had enough rupees to, you know, splurge. So I went and discovered I could outright buy items. So I bought some items and also rented both of the rods. And then I went and got more my mice and then upgraded items and then went to Hyrule Castle. And then from Hyrule Castle, you go to Low Rule. And then in Low Rule, I found a lot more my mice and more rupees and more other things to do. And I started going in and out of the portals and found pieces of heart from the fancy lady in the dress and just started doing things that I didn't originally set out to do and so it turned what probably could have been an hour and a half two hour chunk of game into like four-ish hours and you know you know that's that that's how you get to a really fun play sesh right like that's always a great way to spend some time in a zelda game yeah so it was it was good it was um it was probably the most expansive amount of time i've spent accidentally side questing in a top-down Zelda game. Because, like, as we've been doing this for the pod, I know that the side, the major side quests I need to do, so I normally dedicate time to go do that. I did not have any intention of doing side questy stuff this time. It just kind of happened. And uh, that's fairly normal for a 3D game for me because I find exploration more rewarding in a 3D space. Um, but it was just very natural and... Um, felt really good, um, especially going back and forth between low rule and high rule. And um, each new section I entered, Hilda would contact me and just be like, I am Hilda. Like, yes, I know who you are, Hilda. Thank you. And she's, like, uh, she's hey. very proper. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I did notice about her character. <laughs> she's like, she uses like the royal we, and she is like that kind of monarch. I just, I love her little noise that she makes whenever she calls you. She's like, hey. hey. Yeah. And, and <laughs> like Zelda's a little more hype. Yeah. Zelda's a, like a soprano, and then Hilda's like uh, an alto too. And she's like, hey. She, oh, hey. Hey, Hilda. Hey, Hilda. How you doing? How you doing, <laughs> how you doing over there? <laughs> how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was good. Um, I was surprised at what happened with Yuga. I was surprised that he wasn't toady. He turns into big bad. Like, I was not expecting that. So that was a cool little twist. Yeah. Um, I obviously already knew about Hilda. I'd forgotten a lot about like her character. So that was cool to rediscover that. And, um, 
Yeah, yeah, the broad brush strokes there. Top, very yes, good. Yes. Yeah. So so I want to talk we so we we get introduced to low rule for the very first time here. And as so we, a lot of our conversation around this game so far has been comparison talk, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about the way that this game compares to a link between pat uh, uh <laughs> Jeez. A link between past. A link between past. <laughs> is it uh, is it a uh, a links between awakening of the past? That's Zelda Triforce of the Gods one point five. A link between past. Um, <laughs> no, we've been comparing this game a lot to A Link to the Past, um, and so now we have the analog to that game's version of the Dark World. And Josh, I want to bump it over to you. And just ask, uh, how, how do you feel that low rule stacks up to the dark world from the earlier game? Uh, I mean, I, I think that the design of it in general is a little on the nose for like, you have the Hinox and you have, uh, I actually don't remember the little sacks of worm enemies. I don't remember their names. Uh, like you have a lot of those same exact enemies and that feels a little weird to me. Because the dark world was specifically, you know, the sacred realm, but corrupted by Ganon. And we're talking from a now full of monsters. We're talking from a fictional standpoint. Uh, like the the rationale for all of this sits a little weirdly with you, right? Yeah, like I, I, the idea that it is their dark world is fine, right? But it's like the, I feel like they could have made it a little more different it it feels almost like they actually well we kind of know they originally set out to just remake a link to the past right yes and this kind of feels like it was almost a little leftover like it was the dark world and then just they were like uh well let's just delete the pyramid and (laughs) put a castle there instead (laughs) um and, and there's more differences than that right but uh but some of it feels a little off to me uh but generally speaking, like low roll is fun, uh, being like it's themed as uh, it does have a theme of like being opposites from Hyrule. So like you initially meet the blacksmith and his wife again in low roll and where the blacksmith's wife is really, really kind in Hyrule. She's a jerk in low. Yeah, she's kind of the worst. Uh, and, and and you see that a lot where folks are like the opposite there's uh, definitely a bit of a of who doing are. doing another Star Trek thing, but there's definitely a bit of a mirror universe vibe at, at play. Here, Absolutely. Yeah. Where it's no, the, the, no ne- the nego reality. So I, I definitely agree with that. I will say that I agree with you, Josh. Um, this is one element like where I, I really do enjoy low rule a lot. And especially as we come to learn more about the kingdom, I, I like the fiction of it a lot and the story and the rationale for how it became what it is. Won't talk about that here, obviously, but I, I like it as a location. And I think that it's, it's a very successful juxtaposition on the brighter, cheerier high rule in the same way that this dynamic worked in a link to the past. Um, I, I do agree that I think in some ways this can at times be just a little too similar to the dark world. Right. Um, and that even that even carries forward into the arrangement of dungeons, right? Where uh, basically this dungeon and several others that we go to in low rule are, are basically thematically just a redux of dark world dungeons to the point where a lot of them are even in the same place. Right. And they do swap a couple of them around. Right. But a lot of them are the same, but they, like I said, before we, uh, before, I I feel like they are 
dramatically simplified versions of what a link to the past had. Uh, like I did actually ask to be on this episode because I, I really like the dark palace uh, and what they made it. But when you compare it to the palace of darkness, just thematically and uh, like just how, how not big it is <laughs> compared to the palace of darkness, it just feels a little bit like it's the, it's a, uh, this is going to sound mean. It's the cheap knockoff version <laughs> of the Palace of Darkness to me. Uh, and a lot of the dungeons feel that way, where they're just like, just a little bit like it. But they made it look like it and and stuck it in the same place and called it the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think I, all of, so all of my base observations about these locations and places and themes are the same as yours. I think the difference is that I consider most of these to be, uh, at, at least as far as memory serves, more interesting and fun versions of like not not to a T. You know, um, I, I think some of the some of the dungeons in A Link to the Past's Dark World are more fun and interesting than the ones here. But um, I, I, I hold all of the low rule dungeons in very high esteem for the most part. I guess is what I would say. No, and and I would say they're still great dungeons, right? And I, I'm clearly very biased toward a link to the past. There's just no denying that. Uh, but like I said before, I think that those dungeons feel a little bit more like you are just exploring a dungeon, like you're just exploring a space. Uh, and these are very designed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll talk about that a bit more when we get to the dungeon map. But yeah. but I will say just while we're talking about juxtapositions, um, in A Link to the Past, that first moment that you that you load into the dark world was a very big moment, right? Because they very intentionally made that world feel different from high rule that you had come from. I think the first moment that you step into low rule in this game actually accomplishes that even better than a link to the past. And I think it's just because your transition point is coming through Zelda's like Zelda's bedchamber, right? You go through that crack in the wall and then you come out in the opposite version of it in low rule where, you know, like Zelda's bedchamber is very sunny. It feels very pleasant. Everything is arranged very nicely. And there's like delicate China on the wall and all that. And then you come through the crack in the wall and you're in basically the same room, but everything is torn to pieces. There's lightning. Um, it just, it feels like a much more dejected place than Hyrule. And the, like the transition of tone is so immediate and so overpowering. Um, I, I just think it's a really effective moment. Um, and I, I, I really enjoy that about this section of the game. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and even taking it just one minute further, like you, you immediately get thrown into the story cutscene with Yuga, uh, and, and Hilda, and a link to the past didn't have anything like that, right? There's no cutscenes of any kind. <laughs> um, there's hardly any dialogue with like ma- major story dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like they're able to do that more effectively. The effectiveness of a link to the past's moment uh, really d- relies a lot on the surprise, uh, especially the surprise of it being 1991 and it's, you think you've beaten the game, right? And, you know, it feels like for 1991, it feels like you've played a whole game already, yeah. um, and it's over. And then suddenly, surprise—you're not even halfway done. Um, 
and I'm they made they did a really cool trick in a link to the past with the pyramid to make it where you can like see Death Mountain in the background uh, while you're standing on top right. of it. It's like they did some cool stuff to make that a, just a cool moment. But yeah, a link between worlds uses all of everything modern we have about it for storytelling, which is a it uh, and and one ups it for sure. It's kind of the Pokemon Gold and Silver effect, right? Where like you think you're done with the game, and then it's mm-hmm. like, oh hey, whole nother game, ready to go? Yeah. Uh, it's really fun. Um, interesting little segue into Pokemon Gold and Silver, which we may be discussing in a in a bonus capacity on this show at some point before too long. Mm, little, yes. little teaser there. We'll follow up more on that later. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a it's a very effective thing for very similar reasons. We were talking about launching right into that big story cutscene, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about the fiction and lore implications of what we see here, because there's some really, really cool stuff that goes on. I was very excited for you to see this cutscene, Matt, and to see exactly what Yuga's aim was in reviving Ganon. Yeah. Be- because to my memory, this is a unique thing in the Zelda series. We've never really seen an enemy merge with Ganon in this way before. Yeah. And it almost seemed like Yuga overpowered Ganon in some way to like, take the Triforce of Power from him and then use that to fuse them together. So that was odd. My my my, uh, my big question here is definitely to what extent is Ganon like a willing and enthusiastic participant in this? Right. That's, yeah, I don't know um, at this point in time. I don't know if you find out or not. Don't tell me. But um, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, one of my first questions that came out of this cutscene was, where did Hilda come from? Like Zelda is a descendant of the Royal family of Hyrule. Last time we were in the dark world in a link to the past, there was no such thing as the dark world. Well, this, royal is, family. this is notably not the same. Right. This was not the same plane of existence. Oh, this is not the dark world. Oh yeah. yeah. I thought it was the dark world. No, probably best to clear that up sooner rather than later. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that makes a little more sense then. All right. No, this is a completely. And, and that's why that's why we had the discussion about it being like a little on the nose for being the dark world, because it's not the dark world. See, I thought it I thought <laughs> it was like yeah. I thought that we were just going back to the dark world through a different version of transdimensional teleportation. Yeah, no, but apparently not. No, okay. because the dark world is gone. Oh. The dark world is is the dark world mm-hmm. is just the sacred realm, but Ganon has corrupted it. And so at the end of A Link to the Past, you get the whole Triforce yeah. and you wish for everything to be better right. again. And so the sacred realm just goes back to being the sacred realm. Low rule is more like Termina from Majora's oh. Mask. It's an alternate reality. Oh. Um, See, yeah, you know, I didn't catch that. Well, like and in fairness, in fairness, the uh, I guess the history of low rule is explored later in this game. Okay, but you don't really hear a lot about it right now, and so yeah. your your confusion is understandable. But basically, the story here is that at one point, low rule was a prosperous kingdom, very similar to high rule. Yeah, I got that. I got that impression from Hilda when she was saying, like specifically relating to the cultists outside of the dark palace. Uh, she was like, these used to be my soldiers and they abandoned their posts and went to worship this dark creature. And that's my fault for not protecting them the way that I should have as their monarch. Like I was like, Oh, so this was like a whole kingdom thing. Like, yeah, yeah cool, cool, cool. Yeah, absolutely. 
Cool. Okay. Well, all right. I guess some some of my confusion is now moot. Yeah. But can we just talk about how actually pretty legitimately cool you Ganon looks? Yeah, he's like almost albino Ganon and his huge spear scepter thing is like cool. he's got a mane. Yeah. Like a old, yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got the mane from Ocarina of Time. <laughs> it's yeah, really cool. It's looking. awesome. Yeah. And he looks bigger than just normal Ganon. Um yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. I'm I'm here for it. Although the even cooler part of that cutscene was Hilda just straight up. I don't know. She used strand on him or something like boom and case you in some <laughs> s- magic spider webs like, OK, Hilda, look at you like right out of the gate. Are you more powerful than Zelda? Yeah. Mm. But and it's so interesting because a whole thing in, in A Link to the Past was like you're getting towards the end of the game and you're trying to you're trying to basically make it so that Ganon can't assemble all the sages, right? That like that's the premise there, right? Yeah. Josh. I'm sorry. The premise is that he so that he can't reassemble the sages in the Link to the Past. Yeah, c- because he's already and it's kind of the opposite, right? He's imprisoned the descendants of the sages right. in a Link to the Past and he just wants you to not get them all back. Without them you can't get into his castle to Gotcha. Right. So I guess what here you guys doing what Aghanim is doing at the beginning of a right, right, right. I I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that this moment where Yuga is basically like you see Yuga succeed in his in his evil plan. You know, Um, it's a very interesting thing to be happening at the midpoint of a Zelda game. Like I think this is kind of the sort of thing that I usually would assume would happen right before the final dungeon of most Zelda games. Right where. Like the the villain has basically achieved their goal, and now it's time to go beat whatever awful final boss comes from that circumstance. You so, know, but here it's like he he just he's like he's already done it, and now we have to clean up the mess. So fast forwarding on fast forwarding to the end of this section a little bit, this felt more like Ocarina of Time to me, where. The bad guy has succeeded, and now the rest of the game is about how do we fix what has been done in Ocarina of Time. It is how do we prevent it from ever having happened because time travel. In this one, it feels like how do we stop Ganon while Hilda keeps him contained? And the way we have to do that is go reassemble the sages that were just used to accomplish this well, plan. And obviously we have a hyper intentional callback to Ocarina of Time at the end of this. Yeah, with the game. sage. Yeah, with the sage chamber. Right. And, yes. Uh, and how did you enjoy that, Matt? Was oh, that, that was surprise? that was so cool. I, I wasn't going to talk about it too in depth, but yes. Dope. Well, you can talk about that here. It's not part uh, of the dungeon. Yeah. Uh, super dope. It looks almost exactly the same. Same soundtrack. Uh, yeah. All of it was. It was just nostalgia, uh, nostalgia points like coke in the nose. Just, yeah, yeah, I'll take all of that stage chamber. Let's go. (laughs) I've never done cocaine, so I wouldn't know what that actually feels like. But (laughs) good, good, good disclaimer. Thank you, Matt. Uh, What what about do we encourage it? Don't do it. What about you, Josh? How do you, how do you feel? Josh, about- have you ever done cocaine? Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't feel. No, I have not. Okay. There you go. Good. Glad we're all on the, glad, uh, glad we're all on a page with cocaine. Um, I'm so I, I'm going to back up for one minute. We were talking about comparisons to other games, right? Uh, Aghanim actually does the same thing and succeeds the way Yuga does. Right. Except that Aghanim is actually Ganon. Right. Uh, but, uh, 
So he actually succeeds. You just don't see it all in game. And that's, again, that A Link to the Past just didn't have the same cutscene storytelling capability. Uh, so a lot, like you see, if you watch the opening prologue, you will see Aghanim vanish one of the maidens. And then you get to see him vanish Zelda. Uh, and that's all you get to see. But then you actually do the exact same thing you're doing now. And you go to the Dark World and you find all of the sages again to reassemble them. Which is the same thing you do in Ocarina of Time. Uh, but they didn't have the Chamber of Sages as a concept, right? right. Um, Ocarina of Time is my favorite 3D Zelda game. Uh, I'm about to lay high praise on this game. I think the inclusion of the Chamber of Sages is the single best thing about this entire game. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, I wish more Zelda games included it. I think it should just be like something you expect, like a, just a core part of Zelda. Yeah. Uh, to have that Chamber of Sages. Uh, and so that was shocking to me when I first saw it, and I still just absolutely love it. Well, I mean, for like this, this has got very similar feelings to like th- I'm remembering the first time in Twilight Princess that I stumbled into the Temple of Time, right? Um, and with the same music, same basic layout, all that, and it's such a it's such a crazy cool feeling. It just it's so wonderful to be back in a place that you have such fond memories for. And for a similar reason, I completely agree with you, Josh. That the Chamber of Sages here is just is really really wonderful, and I, I love being back there. I will say one of the things that I really appreciate about this game, uh, in contrast to A Link to the Past is that the sages are characters that we have actually that the, that the game has like introduced us to and that we have s- some mm-hmm. knowledge of you know mm-hmm. that that really kind of like I wouldn't say that this is a game that has a ton of heavy emotional stakes behind it because this is still a top down Zelda game right um but it does it does help right it does help give us motivation for wanting to like rescue these people because we've gotten to know them yeah you see you see gully and you see the zora queen and irene and i remember very early in this section of game actually um right after i got the master sword i actually no it was going to the lost woods i fast traveled there so i called irene with the bell and her empty broom shows up and i was like what in the ish is going on and um yeah seeing her in painting form was like oh that sucks well yeah and you've got like impa rosso like you really like you want to be able to yeah. save all these people um there's also osfala and he can yeah, and yeah i don't really, is, don't, but, don't really like, care about that one too much <laughs> <laughs> maybe you want his sand rod a little bit but honestly the rest of it just you can just stay there. I'm you, fine with you that. You can keep Osvaldo. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a sand rod. We'll put him back in his painting, and everything is Poor fine. Osvaldo. Oh man. Uh, no, no. I, I don't mean. feel sorry for him. He deserved it. He was a dick. <laughs> Some people deserve to be paintings. Okay. Well, there you go. Sorry, Osvaldo. That's you. You lost. Um, but uh, no, I mean, uh, like really, really fun story and lore implications here. Um, I, I will say that just traversal in the dark world is especially playing on hero mode. Um, very, very scary, right? Because yeah, even with six, I think I have six or seven hearts at this point, And even with that amount of hearts and a better sword, uh, so much of what is in here is is just super, super lethal to Link, especially on hero mode. I think basically every enemy in the Dark World is a two-hit KO 
at this point in the game. Um, and that really ups the difficulty factor, which I definitely appreciate because as we've mentioned many times before on this podcast, I'm, I'm always looking for ways for these games to be harder for me to play. Um, and, and this is definitely like, it's pretty difficult. There's a large spike in difficulty when you get to the dark world. The, uh, no, I totally agree. Even not on hero mode. It was, um, yeah, it was, it's difficult. Um, those, Moblins, the ones that throw bombs at you, not moblins. Uh, yeah, they're moblins. Aren't are, they? are they moblins? I don't know what Josh? they are. No, they're Hinox. Hinoxes. Oh, Hinox. Oh, I thought yeah, you were yeah, talking yeah. about the moblin-sized dudes with the pitchforks. Nah, whatever. Those, those are whatever. The, it's the ones. It's the Hinox that throw bombs at you. You say they're whatever. They'll, they'll one-hit KO you on hero mode. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well. They don't do that on non-hero mode, but even on non-hero mode, the Hinox are um, terrifying, and they take like. 10 hits with the master sword yeah um i upgraded my bow before i went into the dark world so i'm shooting those three arrows which is pretty cool um and still like it's challenging yeah it is it's the the trash mobs mm-hmm. uh are not trash mobs <laughs> they're not trashy what so wh- josh i know a lot of people have a lot of different folk focuses of interest in zelda games like whether it be exploration or combat or story or dungeons or whatever um i so obviously i'm one of those people who really enjoys a combat difficulty spike in these games um is that something that you kind of esteem pretty highly when you're playing a zelda game or is it just sort of like something you have to put up with i i wouldn't say i esteem combat difficulty highly i'm I'm more of a, especially after Breath of the Wild, I'm very much an exploration person. Uh, but, uh, and I have found myself since then going back and like actually spending more time doing extra stuff when I replay Zelda games now. But otherwise, I'm kind of a dungeon puzzle kind of person. Um, I, I do think that a lot of Zelda games are probably easier than they ought to be. Uh, my controversial statement for this one is, and actually for Link's Awakening also, the remake in particular, eight-way direction, uh, and the much better spin attack make the games way easier. <laughs> yeah, the spin attack is really powerful. Way easier. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's something that makes it easier. Um, I, I would say it seems like you've limited how many hearts you find. You can find a lot more pieces of heart than you've apparently picked up. That also makes the game easier. Sure. Uh, I'm tr- I'm trying I'm and, trying to and- take a balanced approach like I I'm leaving room for exploration and trying to pick up heart pieces each week but I'm also not going out of my way to just like truck through tons of them. Right. Uh and that's probably good if you want it to remain even remotely challenging cuz there's a, there's a lot of them to get and part of the design of this game where you can just get all the items and go do stuff means that there's very few that you can't just go get yeah um yeah you know some of them require that you beat a kuko mini game or a baseball mini game (laughs) to get but uh which might take you some time but other than that it's just uh yeah um my my general rule of thumb is that i'm not poking around in sections of low rule specifically that are not related to the dungeon i'm playing that week at the moment so it's kind of kind of where i'm sticking with it let's see I poked around the town a bit since they dropped you in it to begin with um, and uh, had some fun looking around, finding secret stuff there. Uh, I I got a bit sidetracked like Matt did. uh, And I was going to say, I think this game probably does that better than probably any other 2D Zelda game. Um, I think the Mayamais 
are as close to Koroks and Gold Skulltulas as top-down Zelda has ever gotten. Uh, well, and as we and as we said last week or the week before, I think arguably much more useful than either of those things. And that's kind of where yeah. I land on them as well. Is like I actually desire to find more my mys so that I can upgrade my items because they actually and they're also very cute. Yes, um, they the Koroks are cute too, but um, like the my mys don't ah! on you. That's true. Well, presumably. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, upgrading items is something that is just massively useful and something I always desire to do. So what, what all have you upgraded at this point? Uh, so I've purchased the bow, the bombs, the hook shot, and I think that's it. Um, no, and the hammer. So I've purchased the bow, the hookshot, the bombs, and the hammer, and I've upgraded the bombs and the arrows. Okay, cool. Um, and I now have enough mimes that I'm going to go upgrade probably the hammer. I don't know. We'll see what the upgrade does to it. How about you, Josh? What all, what all have you bought and upgraded at this point? Uh, I actually haven't upgraded anything. I, I, I've been picking up mimes and then just, they're, I just like picking them up to collect them. Uh, I bought the hookshot, so I could upgrade that. But I haven't bought anything else, so yeah. Um, I've I've also only upgraded the bow and the bombs, and those are also the only two things that I bought at this point. So I am very glad that I bought as many items as I did because I done died in this dungeon. Oh yeah, I did. So did I. Yeah, it was. Uh, whew, it was rough. Well, that's about as good a segue as I can think of. Uh, before I take that path, my last point that I want to say is. Dark World theme makes its glorious return here. Let's freaking go. I love the Dark World music so much. I don't even care that this isn't really the Dark World. I love that this is the Overworld theme for Low Rule. This is one of the all-time great pieces of Zelda music. 10 I out of 10 it. banger. Yeah, it's just incredible. Um, okay. I'm surprised it hasn't shown up in more games. Well, I, Genuinely. It's surprised. one of those things where I think they probably would like to, but it's got to be pretty tough to find like a legitimate reason to stick it anywhere, you know? Yeah, they can put it anywhere they want in Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they will. Okay, they could. Okay. They could surprise just us. Put it. Just put it in Hateno Village, and it just plays the whole time you're there. In Hateno Village, I don't know about Hateno. Well, what if Hateno Village is like a, jacked up? It, yeah, it has been like <laughs> annihilated or something. It's like, oh no, everyone's dead. The houses are gone. Dark World theme. Well, that would be appropriate then. Yes. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Oh, but please no. All right. Okay. Well, uh, now I'm going to go ahead and capitalize on that segue. Let's get into the dungeon map, which is the section of this week's episode where we talk about the dungeon from mechanics to music and more dungeon this week is the Dark Palace. And I'm just going to say up front that I've been very, very excited to talk about this one because in my memory and now having played it again, I'm prepared to to say that my, my opinion is the same. I think this is an excellent freaking top-down Zelda dungeon and is in contention for my top five or three favorite top-down Zelda dungeons of all time. I really, really like this dungeon. Wow. That is a big... Wow. wow yeah. that, is, that is a take. Okay. Um, then I'm just going to leave it with you to walk us through why that is because I don't know if I have the same opinion, but please. So for me, it's all about effective use of a theme. And 
having mechanics that are different than what we'd normally get in top-down Zelda dungeons. I feel like dungeons and top-down Zelda games, for the most part, like... Uh, obviously a lot of them do new and interesting things depending on what game you're playing, what the mechanics are, yada, yada, yada. Um, this one feels so drastically different from so many top-down Zelda dungeons just because of the way that it utilizes such a simple thing as depriving you of like visual information, you know? Right. I think that that's such an effective tool and it really contributes to the theme of the dungeon. It makes it feel claustrophobic. It makes it feel very, uh, very dangerous to me. Um, that coupled with the soundtrack that plays in here, which is kind of like elegantly sinister, love the music in this dungeon, but I, I just think there's something really fun here. There's a great balance of mechanic where, Especially the first few times I played it. Like now I remember how most of this stuff works. And so the surprise isn't necessarily there. But the first time or two that I played this dungeon, it really took me quite a while to get through. The reason for that is because I think your first instinct when you get into a lot of these rooms is to just light as many torches as you can. Right? Right. Like when you walk into a dark room, the very first thing you want to do is illuminate it as much as possible. Except the whole hook of this dungeon is that by doing that, you're depriving yourself of clues that – uh, are only present when rooms are not illuminated, right? Yeah. Like you basically have to put out torches in order to see walkways, to see arrows on the wall, to see all kinds of things. Um, and I just think that's such like a really effective thing. And it also, again, it le- it lends itself to that sense of danger because you know that you need to be putting lights out in order to see what you need to be doing, but also that's making it a lot easier for enemies to sneak up on you, um, to take hits from enemies that you that you just can't see because it's dark and they're walking around. There's no visual cue that they might be there. The ghosties. Until they're like on you or until they shoot like a pillar of flame at you or something. Mm, you know? Yes, the helmosaurs. Um, I, I just think that that's like really, really an effective thing. Um, and then on top of that, I just love how much, you know, we're talking about how low rule is sort of like this this cool negative version of high rule. And this dungeon is basically just a complete inverse of the Eastern Palace. Like the layout is incredibly similar, but it's recontextualized completely just by virtue of the fact that like, yeah, a lot of the puzzles are more difficult. You have to put more thought into them and the enemies are harder. Um, But just the use of darkness, I I think is so, so effective here. And uh, yeah, I've always just really loved it for that reason. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think that all those are, are super valuable points and I, I totally agree. The, the use of the, um, illuminated, it almost looks like bioluminescence that you see on some like algae in the ocean, which I, I love that effect always looks good. Um, I think that it was very interesting of them to do such significant signposting, um, of like where you need to go or where your objective is. And I thought that was a cool use of the, the upgraded engine that this is running on, um, to get those, those arrows that move, you know, side sideways on the walls or down or, you know, whatever. Um, the use of the, the lighting mechanics and physics actually looks really good. And I think works very well on the 3ds that I don't think could have worked on any other, DS game really that I've played it up to this point in the show. Um, so yeah, I think aesthetically you're absolutely right. It is a very well done and on, uh, it's a focused dungeon. It knows what it is and it plays into that in every category and in every way. Um, and I think it's very effective at that. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I mean, what do you think? Am I, am I out of my mind? 
No, you're not. Uh, this is my favorite dungeon in this game. Uh, and uh, and as for mostly, you you kind of covered it all. Uh, the, the one thing that I would add, too, is that I, I like the way this feels. Uh, and it's kind of accidental, aside from the darkness portion, right? Uh, is that technically speaking, this is the bomb dungeon. Right. <laughs> right? You have to bring the bombs in to get in. A bunch of the puzzles do use bombs uh, for timing a switch or for blow it open a window to let light into the darkness uh right but because bombs are such like a key zelda item that you usually just use all the time anyway this dungeon feels less like it's designed around an item to me <laughs> it feels more just like it, it feels more like in a link to the past dungeon yeah. to me it's like they you took in a link to the past dungeon and then like matt said used the extra capabilities of the 3ds with lighting and made it better. Uh, I do wish that it was bigger. Like you mentioned, it's very similar to the Eastern Palace uh, layout-wise. Like I, I kind of wish it was more like the Palace of Darkness in A Link to the Past. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because I, I love that dungeon also. Uh, but but no, the way you use the lighting, like you said, that you have to turn the lights off. Uh, I love. Uh, I think that's just excellent. Um, and uh, I actually find it kind of fun and challenging to to try and solve the puzzles with the lights on. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy, but it's like there, there's the room where you have to black it all out to see the maze, right? You can do that without it. Um, if you want to, you can put, turn the lights on and, uh, and you won't be able to see like it. You, I don't think you can illuminate the whole room, but you won't be able to see the walls for most of it. And it's kind of fun to challenge yourself and figure out how to do it, uh, to do it that way. Um, but, uh, I also like this one because like I replay the games a lot and it feels like I, I still always miss something like the darkness actually works as a way to make me forget the puzzles. Right. <laughs> and so even, even this time I got to the end where you know, you're supposed to light for the four little switches or whatever they are eyeballs. Uh, and I had missed one because I had overlooked one of the puzzles. Uh, because it was in the dark. Uh, and I, I really like that here. Uh, I would say also just more broadly, uh, Zelda doesn't use darkness a whole lot like this, but every time it does, I really like it. Um, you know, the now like soon to be classic example is the Typho ruins in breath right. of the wild. Uh, that's like in my top three favorite places in the whole game. Um, and, and likewise, like this is my favorite dungeon here um and so i would love for them to just take the lights away that's that's such Uh, an interesting point about memory recall on replays because one of the things that i think you know i i think it's it's very interesting that i i never enjoy replaying zelda games less because the memory component really does mean that dungeons are pretty much always inherently less challenging the more that you replay a game because you just start to have really good recall of the layout. Like you see the way a room is laid out when you walk into it. And you're like, OK, I know this door leads here. This one leads here. This is the puzzle, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the sensory deprivation that happens here really is very effective at making it very difficult to retain those details. And so I completely agree with you that that's a really fun byproduct of of the darkness mechanic here. And then also to your point about just missing a lot of stuff, the darkness is very effective at creating a lot of trickety trick areas 
where there's like chests and stuff that you could and and, and you know most of them don't have anything super important they'll have monster horns or lots of rupees or something um but it's still like if your goal is to get every chest in a dungeon then there's a lot that are very effectively hidden here just because of the darkness mechanic can say that most of the right. time that i spent in this dungeon was trying to track down two missing chests that i just could not find one of them was the master ore mm-hmm. chest and the other one was actually the big key chest Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a hard time with that one. I'll, I'll get okay. into more with that later. Can we talk about the Master Ore Chest for a minute? Yeah, I um, have uh, negative feelings about that. How long did that take you? How long did that take you? To I had to Google out? it. Like, it was it was killing me that there was... I thought it was the big key um, because it was at the top floor. It was after you've unlocked... Top floor in the dead center. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this has to be the big key. Like, there's, there's no way it isn't. So I was driving myself crazy and the way that the the screen size on the 3ds makes it impossible for you to see that by hitting the switch at the back of the room it flips the wall on the north side of the room like you can't see it so you either have to do you either have to do the delayed hit just for no reason and then walk back to the north side of the room and see that wall flip or you have to google it to see somebody else had done it and so there is there is another way actually do tell um uh the hint glasses ah yes uh, the hint the hint glasses make little ghosts appear in the dungeons sometimes and there is a ghost there who gives you a hint about timing your hit on the crystal switch uh, i told you before i played this before release there was no googling it uh i did not get this my first time in the dungeon uh, I got to the end of the game and I was missing a master ore and just started going back to look for every chest I had missed. I'm not even exaggerating to say this took me like over two hours to figure out. Oh man, that would drive me insane. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I was ready to throw the 3DS against the wall and never play the game again at the time. Uh, but I will never forget this puzzle now. Uh, it's it's. Like to me, it's like an iconic puzzle of this dungeon uh, because uh, obviously this is the first master or you've picked up. Uh, so I don't know that you know what it's for at all yet. I, I but don't, but I can kind of guess it's like it's optional, but it's important, right? It's a, it's an important collectible. And so it's a, uh, yeah, it's like you really want it. And it's a really like it's a good puzzle, but it's an infuriating puzzle. This sounds like a really good time for Matt to uh, to drop uh, to drop our big word. Obtuse. (laughs) The O word. It's our O word. Put it in the jar. No. So. So. okay. just just to give you a second to give your your piece about this puzzle, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I kind of did. I I just didn't think that it was designed well enough to be able to be discovered naturally. Like, I don't like it necessarily. I don't like it when you have to use the hint glasses to figure it out. Right. I don't like it when you have to use a an owl statue, like put the beak in the owl statue to do a throwback to Link's Awakening or when you have to use one of the um, Sheikah speaking stones in Ocarina of Time. Like, I feel like if you have to result result to the hint mechanic, I don't think it's a well-designed puzzle. 
personally. Um, and it goes back to something Max said, which was Zelda puzzles and dungeons are designed to make the player feel smart by incrementally dipping your toes into these. And to be fair, the delayed switch hit has been executed very well multiple other times in this dungeon, but it was always in a way where you could see the first time you hit the switch, you could see what happened and then figure out how to get the timing right. In this case, you hit the switch and you see that it raises the platform on the south side and there's no reason to think that it doesn't do only that. There's no reason to think otherwise. Yeah. And I think that that is what makes it obtuse so and unenjoyable. Putting putting the hint glasses to one side, really the only cue that you get to know that there's something you're supposed to be doing and exactly where it is is by consulting the map. That's really all yeah. you have to go by, right, is when you see TIE Fighter. When you see this uh, – this this no, you're good. When you see this little chamber on the map and it's very clear that it – like the map does not denote that there's a door leading to it, that's really all that you have to go on. And so I agree with everything that you're saying. I think especially judging it by the metric that you just established that Max had had – posited earlier it does not conform to that rule of a successful zelda puzzle uh, a successful zelda dungeon puzzle what i will say is that there is i think a very a very big uh callback here to the way that puzzles were handled in the older zelda games you know the ones that you're talking about that you really like a lot josh um you know when puzzles were definitely a little bit more obtuse (laughs) And a lot less handholdy. I think that this is a kind of um, this is an execution of difficulty that a lot of modern Zelda games are afraid to do. And I appreciate it a lot just for that reason alone, um, because I think that as Zelda has gotten, you know, uh, as it's gone more and more from the older style of game to the newer style, uh, puzzles just have gotten easier and and much more transparent. And this does not conform to that rule. I really like it for that reason. Um, I also have to say that. So now, you know, we talked in earlier dungeons about the fact that in once you get to low rule you do have a a thing a big thing to find in each dungeon which you didn't in the high rule dungeons and it's still not something that you need to collect to beat the dungeon and it, it, it isn't for any of them it's always some kind of upgrade item that you don't need to complete the game and i think that's also a very fun callback to a lot of older zelda games you know zelda one link to the past where uh you know, you you can totally like you can get through a dungeon and make it out without having collected the thing that's in it. Uh, that's totally a possible thing to do. And so it's a it's a fun little functional throwback um, in my mind to that older style of game. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I actually did remember an, there's there's one other clue on that that uh, puzzle. And it's that we haven't talked about the boss yet, but there is a a mask on the wall uh, when you're in the dark. Uh, the problem is still that they only use that flipping wall mechanic in one other room. Uh, those panels have the same pattern on them. Yeah. So it's like, if you put that together, you can figure it out. Uh, but I think that the criticism of you can't see it uh, is also kind of a, uh, they use that in other areas because the game is 3d, and a lot of it is designed to be like 
you can't always see everything from one perspective, right? Uh, Because the walls raise out of the center of the rooms. Uh, There's a simple puzzle where you have to like bomb the floor and then fall down to get a key that I didn't see the first time I went past it because the walls obstructed my view. It wasn't until I had gone downstairs and then come back upstairs and the camera was different that I saw the puzzle. Uh, And I feel like this is kind of similar that I I agree. There's no way to see this. Right. Uh, But, but it's kind of a, a side effect of the taking the top down Zelda games and actually making them 3d. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. We have a few other interesting, um, instances of like perspective and cause and effect within the dungeon, just aside from this, right? Of course, the main mechanic of how you get into the boss room is by illuminating the four eyes that are in the main chamber before the boss room. And, um, it's definitely an interesting thing where I don't know if it's communicated super effectively before you get to that room that pillars of light make it from one floor to the next. Like, was that obvious to you right off the bat, Matt? It was just because when you open up any one of the boarded ones, it goes down in the darkness and has a little flash effect where it goes bing. And I was like, oh, that does something that I need to be doing more of. But there was also like there was there was a beam of light that you had to make way for earlier in the dungeon. And I'm not sure if you even realized that's what you were doing at the time. No, I didn't realize that it was opening up the boss chamber, but um, I did see the little ding flash and was like, okay, I should probably do more of that. So anytime that I found a spot where I thought that I could um, bring, you know, get that light filtering down, I was, that's what I was aiming for. Gotcha. So I, I think that that was well enough telegraphed to know that it was important, but right up front, you didn't know why it was important. Yeah. So Josh, you've said that you think one thing that this dungeon really needs to kind of bring it up to um, being, you know, far and away better than the the Dark Palace of A Link to the Past is size. You think it's a little small. Um, in, in what way would you have expanded this dungeon to make it a little bit better? I mean, it's almost a criticism of most of the dungeons, right? They They feel a little compact to me compared to a link to the past. Um, and so it's like it, it, all of the floors, right. Are just a central room with a few little rooms on the sides it is essentially the layout of the whole dungeon. Right. Uh, and I like it more when dungeons are a little more sprawling uh, than that, um, where it doesn't feel like every floor is the same exact layout. Uh, and, uh, and the palace of darkness does that, you know, that's the a link to the past version, right. Uh, it has, you have to bomb open a wall and then you take a teleporter and the teleporter sends you somewhere else in the dungeon. And it does have some of the verticality, which the Dark Palace repeats, where you have to jump from one floor down to another to get keys. Uh, but it, there's just a lot. There's just a lot more. It's not as focused, right? And uh, And so there's kind of a pro and con there. But this dungeon is very focused, but also very compact. You know, it is essentially hubs with circles of rooms behind around. Them. Yeah, uh, I, I think that if I so from a critique standpoint, if I had to really uh, maybe hypothesize one way that this could have been just a little bit more fun and engaging is maybe maybe if we had just had one more floor 
um, it's a three floor dungeon. Maybe if we had had a fourth floor and, uh, because my thing is that once you get to that main room with the boarded up windows, all of the windows you need to open to access the boss room are for the most part in there. And I think if we had had a fourth floor with yet another room on top of all of that, where maybe, maybe one extra window was, and there was another puzzle that required you to, or that that you had to kind of clear in order to open that window. I think that might have been just a little extra bit of space that this dungeon needed to feel, you know, like a, a really, really excellent size. Um, like, because I do agree with you, like especially when you look at it just on the map, it is a very small looking dungeon. Um, and and you know, I'll always take more space whenever they feel like they can give it to us. Um, I think that might have been a might have been a good way to accomplish it. But that's a that's a coulda shoulda woulda sort of observation. Right, like it's it's an excellent dungeon, right? And and it follows the same general design philosophy of the whole game. Um, so it's like, it's, it's on par there design wise, just, I personally kind of prefer the older way of doing dungeons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you said you died in here. What, uh, what, what gotcha? The boss. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, I don't want to move on to the boss just yet unless, uh, unless everyone feels like they've said everything that they sort of want to about this one. Josh, did you have anything extra? I think I think we've probably covered it. Like I, I really wanted to talk about the master ore chest, um, and, and yeah, like there 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 are more meaningful, cool upgrades in some of the other dungeons. Like that's kind of a tease for Matt, but you're not always just going to walk out with a. I wonder what this is. Uh, some of the stuff you walk out with is more explicit of what you're getting, um, but uh, and not hidden behind a puzzle that t- requires the internet to figure out. Right, uh, but. Uh, but no, I just, I, uh, I think we've covered it. It's great. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the boss then, which is once again, a callback to the boss that, uh, exists in the dark palace and a link to the past. Um, and in that dungeon, the boss was the Helmosaur King. Uh, the boss in this dungeon is the Gemosaur King, which is basically a very similar critter, uh, just covered with a lot of precious stones and gives you lots of rupees, which lots was of rupees. really nice. Yeah. Um, and, and I actually found this to be, so, you know, last week we were talking about how the boss fight in the house of Gales was fun, but I think that the boss needed a little bit of extra lethality, right? A little bit more <laughs> yep. damage dealing potential. Um, and man, did I ever get it here? Yeah. I was about to say, I, you, your wish was granted. <laughs> this guy will F you up heartily, uh, two hit KO with my, with the amount of hearts yeah, that, that I had. That doesn't surprise me. Um, and yeah, it was, I I love so much about this boss fight. I love that one, it executes very well on, uh, both the item that you have to use to clear this dungeon, which is the bombs. And then also the main mechanic of the dungeon, which is darkness and light. Uh, those two things together, I think made, made for a really, really, really excellent boss fight. It doesn't go by quick. You really have to pay attention to your positioning relative to the boss. Um, Especially once he goes into aggro mode, uh, he's a uh, he's fast. Oh yeah, he he goes. He really goes. I really liked how even in his like damage dealing station quote unquote stationary phase, he moves a lot. So you have to be very intentional 
about where you place bombs. And it's not a big room. No. And you have to be very intentional because the, the bomb doesn't do enough AOE, even with the big bomb, to hit the opposite side of its body. So, like, if you bomb the back right flank, but you were aiming for the back left flank and he turns, you don't you don't get that damage you don't you don't blow them up so um i thought that was really good um also it was kind of tricky to um get him into position to hit the helmet i thought was the hardest part to hit um mostly because i kind of forgot about my shield um i don't know why (laughs) but i did like i didn't think about just like laying the bomb standing still raising my shields for him to shoot me i was trying to dodge stuff and so i i did a lot of like bombing him and doing nothing um the first time around which is how i ended up dying was i wasn't getting the helmet off fast enough the helmet stayed on and uh um it uh it really drug out that first phase where i wasn't even doing any damage to him um then you know i got low enough uh that we got into the second damage phase and he starts flying around the room and then eventually he, you know, extinguishes the torches. You can't hurt him at all in that state. Yeah. And he's moving just crazy fast, faster than Moldorm was, I think. And, um, yeah, squishing you into walls <coughs> crazy fast. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> what, uh, what I really had to do in here was be, so I, I died the first time. And once you get into the aggro phase, I was just having to be so careful about making sure that I was close to the first torch whenever that started so I could yeah. light the torch and then just <clears throat> merge into the wall and more safely get around to the next one. Yep. Because what I was doing was getting into his aggro phase and then like, oh, crap, I got to walk over to this torch and light it. Now I've got to go over to this Across other torch. the room and like, diagonally. Yeah. And yeah. like he's just so stinking fast that like if you're doing it that way, you're you're taking hits and it only takes two to put you down so um definitely definitely a very challenging very fun fight Uh, do you enjoy this one josh yeah it's great i didn't think about merging into the wall that's a good idea yeah that saved him that (laughs) saved my butt a lot Uh, the second time i fought him uh uh yeah like i did not die but i went in knowing very much what to expect and have more hearts and fairies and i'm not playing hero mode uh so uh but yeah like i think it's great um you know it's it's better than helmasaur king as a boss fight um uh, you know uh i'm not it might be on par difficulty wise maybe um you know i think helmasaur king is reasonably challenging um it's not mothula but <laughs> it's it not mothula it it's it certainly not, not mothula it yeah. really isn't <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, but no, I think this one's great. Um, you can just throw the bombs at it. I don't know if y'all. Yeah, they do. They do explosion Uh, on contact with the helmet. Yeah. So, uh, so that makes it, I I feel like that makes it a little bit easier than the link to the past version where you either had to time the bomb very carefully or just use the hammer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that second phase running across the room is rough. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I actually, this is the nice thing about this game. I remember a lot about how the dungeons work and how to solve them, but I don't have a great memory of the mechanics for any of the bosses, especially in low rule. And so, um, you know, I, I went into this one having to rediscover it in a lot of ways. 
And and that adds challenge, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I'm looking forward to that being the case with the other low rule dungeon bosses as well, because um, I just have a vague. There, I, I'm going to hype it up, but there are some cool bosses in low. And I, I have a I have a vague um, memory of them all being reasonably difficult. So we'll see if that, that sure. Like they're not they're not pushovers necessarily, yeah. um, and uh, and they're not all linked to the past boss remixed either right no so there's some cool new stuff in there yeah so that's going to be that's going to be a really fun thing to keep track of as we kind of go forward into the game um but does anyone have anything else they want to say about the dungeon excuse me about the dungeon before we move on to the next part gully is great (laughs) i like his little personality he's such a such a cheery little guy he's a He's a seven sage. Yeah, that was that was fun. Not sure if he said that right. I really hope that he's not just going to be stuck in the sage temple forever. uh, And his parents are just going to be like, so I guess my child is like a godlike figure now that I never get to see again. That would be kind of sad for everybody. A notable difference in these sages versus Ocarina of Time is that these guys are not dead. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Yes, he isn't dead. So um, there's hope. There is there is hope for Gully. But uh, yeah, really fun to see him in the Chamber of Sages at the end of this whole thing. Um, And I think in some ways it's it's fun because I usually do this dungeon first. Anytime I play this game, I know we put it first in the order just kind of arbitrarily, but I usually do do it first. And um, it's always fun freeing Gully first because he's kind of the character that you got to know the most in the early half of the game. You know, mm-hmm. so so it feels like a big win right off the bat in low rule that you kind of like have already saved the person who's probably who you're probably closest to. I, I'm, which is why I'm glad you chose this one as our first Dark World dungeon, uh, because ZeldaDungeon.net has this as their like seventh. <laughs> it's uh, it's not it's seventh overall, but they have Thieves Hideout and Desert Palace before <laughs> this one, and I'm like. I'm sure Desert Palace is where you unfortunately save Asfala, and I would hate to save Asfala before saving uh, <laughs> Gully. That would suck. So, it's actually not. Oh, so, well, um, anyway. It's beside the point. <laughs> so, yeah, the the uh, uh, two points, I guess. One, Gully, doing Gully first is cool also. It's kind of a throwback to Saria. Yes. Right? It's like the friend you had, the, the, the closest friend of the people, right? Because you get the feeling... Not even just the feeling, it's just kind of explicit. Link and Gully already know each other at the beginning of this game, right? Um, you know, Gully's got a key to your house, apparently. Right. Uh, <laughs> apparently everyone has a key to Link's say, house. He doesn't have a key yeah. to Link's house. <laughs> or maybe he just leaves it unlocked, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so you already know him, so you're clearly closer with him. All the other characters, I think you meet uh, for the first time at the beginning. Yeah. So it's sort of a, you save your friend first, it's a cool throwback. Um, I would say uh, Zelda Dungeon putting them in that order. And really, I think you will find that most guides, like I can't tell you right off how ZU has them labeled, will uh, order them in a way that uh, the writer thinks is like really beneficial because of what you get out Mm. of them. Um, Because they know what the special item is, right? Uh, And getting certain special items earlier... um, or getting the sand rod from Asfala earlier, right? Uh, might make the game easier. <laughs> uh, and they're probably trying to do I that. will actually say they're that... Trying to get you 
cool upgrades. And I, and I will say to that point, when I did arrange the dungeon schedule, I was kind of keeping in the back of my mind which dungeons had things that, um, I don't know, like increase your defense, for instance, or do other like add other interesting bonuses to your gameplay experience and was trying not to front load those. Like I didn't want to get to a situation where our back dungeons were all like master or, you know? Right. So, um, so I'm sure the guides are doing the opposite, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, because their, their goal when you're writing the walkthrough is you want to make it as easy as possible for folks. Yeah. So, you know, it, and this game lets you do that. You know, you'll see the same thing with Breath of the Wild guides. Everyone has an opinion on what the best right order to do the Divine Beast is. Uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool stuff. Let's go ahead and move on to part four, which is Bloopy Trails, where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. Josh, I'm going to let you go first on this one. I went gambling. <laughs> uh, there's a very wholesome uh, pastime. There's a, a treasure chest game. In, uh, I actually don't know the name of the town, the town in Laurel that they drop you in. Uh, and it's the same traditional treasure chest game that's been in lots of games before, where you just, except he charges you a lot more for it. <laughs> I think he charges 200 rupees to play. Uh, you can get all of it back and more if you're lucky, but there's a, there was a piece of heart in there. So, uh, it only took me three tries to get the piece of heart. So, and I think I made back all the money I spent. Just kind of broke even and got a piece of heart out of it. <laughs> Breaking even is the best uh, that I can ever seem to do when I do any form of gambling. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is also a uh, there's another mini game where you it's like a shovel mini game. Cody Love would love it. Uh, it's actually not actually there's no shovel now that I think about it. It's just picking up rupees. But it's the replacement for the shovel game from Link to the Past, and I played that one also. I'm not as good at that one. Uh, it's an interesting mini game where they just sit, put you into a field full of money and say, pick up as much money as you can within the time limit, uh, which is 30 seconds, but there's no timer. Uh, and if you don't come back and talk to the game manager before the timer is up, then you don't get anything. Uh, and if you get there really close to the timer being up, you get a bonus. They'll like double how much money you picked up. So I played that a bit, hunted a whole bunch of my MIs. Um, but otherwise, I kind of, it was kind of a straight shot a little bit, uh, other than just looking around town for whatever extra stuff. Um, I've got four bottles, I think. I meant to go get number three. And uh, I just completely like after I bought the bombs, it just completely slipped my mind to go back and do it. But that's probably thing number one I'm going to do when I log back on next week. Yeah, so I, there's one of them that I kind of only half have, right? There's a quest you have to do with it. Um, but then I've picked up another one that I can use all the time. I can't even remember where you get it. The fourth one I got, I was just looking it up. Actually, it's in. Um, it's uh, in. It, it's not Link's house, obviously, but it's in. Uh, oh, it's in the. It's in the empty yeah. house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to. You have to. You okay. have to You're drop right. a bomb on the back wall and uh, and right. go in that way. So. Yep, I got that one. So I did that, and I also picked up. Uh, there's one that has like a letter inside uh, that you just pick up the bottle and. It, uh, it's letter from Ruto style has a request and you've got to fulfill the request in order to get the, get the bottle afterward. 
so I haven't done the quest yet, but I have the bottle. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably all the extra stuff I've done. There's some other mini games. Oh, I got the the giant bomb. I played with it and opened a fountain where you throw money. And I I have but like a wish I have not gone and done that yet. I was about to say I but, didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. Cool, you'll find it, Matt. Uh, how about you? What did you get done this week? Oh, like I said at the beginning, I, I did a lot of my my hunting, bought a lot of items, which was good since I died, didn't lose everything. Um, I got the piece of heart from the stylish lady in Kakariko Village by getting into her house through the crack in the wall, which was kind of creepy, but you know, whatever. Um, I also got the piece of uh, the bottle in the abandoned house. I got the bottle under the bridge in Hyrule, so I now have tres bottles. Nice. Um I didn't do any mini games. Um, this game has a lot of mini games, mm-hmm. I think. I feel like for a Zelda game, and and I actually think most of them are pretty great. Um, you know, there's one uh, real world sport related mini game that is kind of love it or hate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I found it, but didn't play it. It's the baseball one, and I got up there and I was like, I don't really want to do this. You're right like, now. I don't know if I'm feeling baseball right now. Yeah, just not really. So, um, yeah, I think that's pr- most of the big stuff that I did. Um, I wandered into the dark world version of Lake Hylia and saw the huge lava palace that we're going to have to go to at some point. Um, (laughs) And I unstuck the turtle from the wall and I'm sure that that's going to play a part later, but I didn't follow up on that. So that's something I'll follow up on later. Um, Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, Um, I did a lot less than y'all this week. I I did collect a few more Mai Mai's and heart pieces, and I played the Coco Run minigame, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I'll I'll go back and hit the more difficult versions of that pretty soon here. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was mostly all business this week, so I'll I'll leave myself some time next week to really get up to some more shenanigans. Uh, But let's get on to part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Um, Matt, I'm gonna let you go first. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know if I want to blow the Hilda load too early. You know what? I'm going to do it. It feels like a good Hilda uh, part because she is intriguing. Um, She seems like a much more complex, complicated, somber version of Zelda, which I think is obviously what they were going for. And I think that that is communicated very well from her demeanor and her her entrance and uh, the things that she says to you as you wander around various sections of low rule. Um, I think that she is obviously very powerful. Um, I'm, I'm starting to believe that her majesty, the, the, her majesty that Yuga was always talking about, like saying her majesty will appreciate this painting is her. So I'm kind of waiting for a villain double cross of some kind. Um, I don't know if that's going to pan out or not, but um, I think she's an interesting and and compelling character that I'm very excited to learn more about and see where her character journey goes. She has a scepter, and I really wish that Zelda had a scepter. Uh, Zelda needs a scepter. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. you're absolutely right about that. Uh, definitely a good choice in Hilda. Of course, you can now not use her for the rest of the season, but uh, I don't think you made a bad decision and dropping it now. Um, so for mine, I'm actually going to go with uh, so we haven't really done enemies too much in in this game so far, um, but I'm going to go with the Gemisaur King. And uh, for 
and I actually I have a reason even past just the fact that you know it, it was super cool that it's like super cool and a really fun boss and it makes you rich. Um, I really like the lore that Hilda sort of establishes with the Dark Palace, which is that like you were saying earlier, Matt, her entire army deserted her to basically become the cult of the Gemisaur King. Right. Which is pretty cool. Which is cool. And I thought it was really interesting because I, I think this is a little bit of headcanon, but obviously low rule does not seem like a particularly affluent place. Right. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem very prosperous. It seems like it's very, you know, scraping by for the people who live there. And uh, I think it's a really cool lore bit that like, OK, so Hilda could not offer anything substantial to her army. And so they completely desert her for this monster that is basically just made of riches, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me a lot of, um, like dragon cult worship, which is a big thing. in specifically one of my favorite series, dragon age. Um, it kind of reminded me of that. And I like that. That's a pretty cool, like, uh, it's a pretty cool thing for villains to do is worship, uh, uber powerful monsters that are kind of unknowable and also yeah potentially rich so. i thought it, i thought it was very fun that all the little guards in the maze that leads up to the dark palace uh-huh. which we didn't actually even talk about we do have oh, a, yeah we didn't talk about that at all did we we have a classic stealth section in this game which is uh you know very reminiscent of your hyrule castle guard sort of situation um and is actually a lot more fun with the addition of wall merging right that Mm -hmm. makes that makes it a lot less annoying to deal with and so i enjoyed it for that reason uh but all of the guards uh that are guarding the palace i don't know if you noticed but they're all wearing little gemisaur king shaped masks i did notice that uh i didn't connect those dots until i got into the dungeon and realized that it was the helmosaur i thought it was the helmosaur king but yeah tie fighter But yeah, so that's going to be mine for the week is the Gemisaur King. Uh, Josh, how about you? All right, I'm going to actually take it uh, to kind of a weird one, maybe. Again. <laughs> take us on a ride, Josh. <laughs> because this is a notable character or characters that I don't like very much that we actually didn't talk about. We kind of skipped over it. Um, there are nine Poe's. Who live in Lost oh, Woods. Oh, right. We also didn't talk about the Lost Woods puzzle. Yeah. I hate it. It is awful. It sucks. I, it was terrible. I never want to do it again, ever. Uh, I dread doing it every time. I feel like as I've gotten older and played the game more times, I just get worse and worse and worse at it. <laughs> Uh, it does have a fail safe in place where if you fail over and over, it starts removing the number of pose. <laughs> I don't know how low it actually goes, uh, before it stops making it easier for you. But, uh, yeah, uh, my choice is the nine pose who guard the master sword. Uh, it is very interesting that, uh, they have decided to do this, <laughs> Uh, I really like Poe's in general in the Zelda series. Um, I would love to see them more often, but uh, but these Poe's not not friends. One of one no. of these days, I'm going to actually remember the solution to the final Poe area where it's just the third go one. backwards. It's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that one's always the same, but the other ones are not. No, they're um, not. I had to do this like five times. And that's <laughs> yeah. what's yeah. Uh, and so you can't just memorize it. Um, and that's what makes it annoying, right? Pretty much every other Lost Woods that I can think of, there's a solution 
even Breath of the Wild, right, where it just seems like it's a big forest, there is a set path. And if you just learn where the trees are, you can just run through it. Uh, this one, there is no way to do that. Yeah. Uh, and it's frustrating. It's definitely it's definitely very tricky, like trying to follow. It, it's really similar to the uh, to the barrel item minigame in Mario Party, where you have to follow the barrels around to grab whichever item mm-hmm. you wanted. It's frustrating for a similar reason, like because it's capitalizing on having a lot of things that look the exact same that are kind of like switching places. Um, and so, yeah, that that does make it a tough puzzle. But I just think it, it's such a it's such a cruelly genius way to do that final room where because I failed three times there and was just like, what is the deal? Like it's telling me not to follow the pose and like those pose that it highlighted the all three of them they they they're each going into one of the tunnels it's like i must have seen it wrong so i would just pick one at random and get shooped <laughs> back to the beginning and then on the fourth time i was finally like oh yep. Yep. all right that's exactly what happened to me i got it yep. i'm there now um i i will say this is a warning for future season and i won't even tell you which season it'll be this is not the only time the zelda series does this and i don't think either of you have played the games or finished the games where this happens otherwise mm, can't wait we'll put it but this but this needing to walk back the way you came does happen we'll put a pin in that one and uh, see if we can catch it whenever we finally get to it Save this one for uh, future memory. All right. Well, uh, that does bring us to the end of part five. Let's get into part six, which is where we let Matt wrap up this section of the game in as succinct a way as he can think to do. This section of the game uh, puts us into uh, high gear with uh, the transversal into low rule after a really fun exploration and combat gauntlet through Hyrule Castle, which we also didn't talk about somehow. Um, and that... Uh, brings us into the this game's version of the dark world um, where we get to meet some very interesting characters we get to see yuga uh, perform his dark ritual and merge with ganon and then we get to see zelda's counterpart and hilda and her uh, powerful abilities to uh, contain the dark beast ganon um we also get to go on a lot of journeying around Hyrule and Low Rule, exploring and uh, beefing up our wallet and buying items from Ravio and upgrading those items uh, till we come to the Dark Palace, which w- which is a very dark and twisted version of the eastern part of the map of Hyrule, uh, infested with cultists. Uh, we follow through a uh, decently fun stealth puzzle uh into what is probably the according to Lyndon and josh the best uh dungeon of this game um which has some really great mechanics great use of the 3ds engine and huge improvements over the dark palace of a link to the past uh culminating all the way into a really satisfying and very difficult boss fight with the gemasaur king uh looking forward to a lot more exploration to come more excellent dungeons and uh, seeing where this story takes us. Excellently done as always, Matt, uh, you were very correct. We completely forgot to talk about Hyrule castle. I don't think there's actually too much to really get into there. It's a, it's an enemy <laughs> gauntlet really. And it's, yeah, it was fun. I, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. It was, it was good. Yeah, it is fun. I will say, you know, we do need to go back to the music real quick and just say that uh, earlier in the season, you were kind of lamenting the absence of the link to the past version of the Hyrule castle theme. Yep. And here it is for you, Matt. It was great. It was really wonderful. Fully orchestrated in all of its glory. Talking about those 
all-time great Zelda tracks, and this is one of them. Yep. It was it was really fun. Yeah, I actually really liked the Yuga fight uh, in the castle. Yes, also. it was very good. It was oh. very fun. Definitely a big step up in difficulty from the first time you fight him in the Eastern Palace. <laughs> I, I think it's a really funny thing that Yuga does where whenever you really start kicking his ass, he's just like, ah, I don't have time for this. You're beneath you're beneath me and you're like dude i just whooped you and you didn't touch me a single time what do you mean you don't have time for this like okay no i i do like also that it's another throwback to link to the past where agonim has three copies or two copies in himself right yeah uh and they do the same thing again but it is a more challenging fight than that hyrule castle looks way bigger on the inside than it does from the outside like yeah it's it's (laughs) got that harry potter effect of like just how, where did all of this come from? I don't understand. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown. We'll be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, talking about another section of Low Rule that we get to explore. Josh, it has been a great time having you on the show, man. This was uh, this was one that I was really, really looking forward to, and uh, I, I did not know that you esteemed the Dark Palace so highly. I'm glad to find out that that was true because uh, that made it even more fun to talk about than I was really expecting it to be. Yeah, no, it's great. Everybody should just keep a save file at the Dark Palace. You can play it over <laughs> and over. There you go. <laughs> I don't even do that, but everybody else should. <laughs> you got to practice what you preach, Josh. Oh, man. Cool, cool. Well, uh, obviously, we'll be having you back on the show at another point in the future. Um, man, I, I don't know if uh, I think uh, the rest of this season is pretty much spoken for, which means that uh, we may be talking to you again when we're just neck deep in Tears of the Kingdomsville. That's not that far away. It's so. not that far away. And I think that uh, we've we've kind of said on the podcast before what our plans are going to be around the launch of that game. Um, and we're I, I definitely think that we're going to want to have you on at least for one of our like early, like not main season, but just impressions episodes um, around that game whenever it does come out. So definitely looking forward to that. There's going to be some great conversation and yeah, who, who can't be excited about that? It's just, it's almost here. It's freaking great. We are just antsy in our pantsy for it. Couldn't have said it better myself, Matt. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically only playing Zelda games at this point. I finished Metroid Prime, so I can just focus on Zelda. So I'm just replaying. Ooh, I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> until there's a I'm going to play more Metroid Prime tonight. I'm actually really excited about that. I'm, I really like, after my, my first two or three hours in that game, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this is pretty good. And now it's just like really hitting hard. I'm like, Hell yeah, Metroid Prime is freaking sweet. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. So excellent, excellent. Definitely game. recommend it. Even before they remade yeah, it. <laughs> recommend it very highly. All right. Well, are you ready to get out of here for the week, Matt? Let's do it. It has been a Monday, so I am I'm ready to go. <laughs> Gotta get this guy to bed. All right, y'all. Well, if you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash Sacred Realms pod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy. Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on A Link Between Worlds Chapter 5. 
Live. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. A Link Between Worlds can be played on the Nintendo 2DS and 3DS family of systems. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.